Please be seated. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. It's nice to be able to say hallelujah without worrying about being that one person in the room that lets it slip out during Lent, you know? You know, you always hear that one muffled, like, hallelujah, like the under their breath sort of thing. It's lovely to be in Easter season. It's lovely to be in this season where we give thanks for new life and we celebrate new life. We celebrate the Passover in Christian terms. We celebrate the Passover in Jewish terms as well. And we say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. It's important to note that events, real historical events transpired and came together to bring us this holy and important moment in our spiritual journeys. Real historical events that are, that are chronicled throughout the history of humankind, events that we can find in, in the Jewish tradition, in the Islamic tradition, and as well as in our Christian tradition. Now, if you were at the Easter Vigil last night, you heard a series of readings before we got to where the lights go on and the hallelujahs get shouted out. And those series of readings take us through some of the history of salvation. And they give us nine options for lessons nine different options for Old Testament lessons. But the only one they tell you that you absolutely have to use is the Exodus reading. Exodus is the only one that they say you got to use this one, which seems kind of strange in some ways because, you know, we, 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 we get used to the really iconic stories from the Old Testament. We get used to the iconic stories like creation or, the, or the, the story of what I like to call recreation, which is Noah's Ark. You know, we get, we get used to those, those really iconic ones, but Exodus kind of falls a little bit in between, falls into an area that we Christians don't always pull into all the time, but a very important thing, because it tells the story of Judaism. It tells the story of, 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 of the covenant that God made with God's people, the Israelites, and how God said, I'm, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna, I got you. I'm gonna lead you out. I'm gonna lead you into new life. I'm gonna lead you, lead you out of the tombs that you've been in and out of the enslavement that you've been in and into a new life. But, but we know, as is the case with most of these situations in, in the world, it's messy along the way. And it's chaotic, if you will. And, and that was the case for the Israelites as they lived into the Passover and as they lived into the new life that they were promised. And the lesson that I refer to in particular from Exodus is that one where they're, they're on their way out of town. You know, all 800,000 of them, and depending upon who you, who you apply the scholarly material to, maybe even a million people leaving Egypt, heading towards the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, Pharaoh says, wait a minute, my labor pool is leaving town. I can't let this happen. And so Pharaoh takes off with chariots and all that, and they start heading towards the Red Sea, and Pharaoh catches up with them. We've all seen Charlton Heston do this scene before. Um, Pharaoh catches up, and we hear and read the story about how the Israelites were able to cross on dry land. But we also hear the story about how the Egyptians, uh, and, and, and in a really hor horrible manner, 
found their death in the Red Sea as things converged on them. Now, historically, a lot of different hypotheses with that. One is that there was a volcano on a Greek island that blew, and then that's what caused some of that. Another one is that it wasn't really the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, so therefore the locals knew how to cross, and so they got across, but the other guys got their, their, their chariot wheels caught up, and that's how that carnage took place. But regardless, regardless, we know that this incredible mass of humanity, historically we're told that they were able to leave, and they were able to find new life and to escape the enslavement that they'd been in at the hands of the Egyptians. Years progressed and years went by and the Israelites again found themselves as an occupied people and this time it was in, it was in Israel and, the, and, and, and they were desperate to try to find ways to experience freedom. And that's where we have the person of Christ walk into their lives and into our lives. And, and, and Jesus walks in and begins to teach, begins to preach, begins to live in community, begins to teach them about love. He begins to teach them about love. And, and folks, again, there was still messiness and chaos within all this. But just as God told the Israelites when they left Egypt, it's going to be okay. I got a covenant with you. It's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. God again, God again acted and sent Jesus to live, to teach, to preach, and to die for us, to die for us. And they placed him in the tomb. We know that they placed him in the tomb. We've, if we've visited the Holy Land, they show you that spot. And it's a, I've never been to the Holy Land, but I understand it's a very emotional moment when you, when you inspect that place that is believed to have been where he was laid to rest. But then we get this important symbol, this event that takes place and causes the symbol. And that event which takes place is the resurrection. And, and we're told that they showed up to pay respects and it was empty. The tomb was empty, the stone was rolled back and he was gone, he was gone. And, and, and Mary, Mary is the first evangelist. Let's not even lie about that. Let's not even say, well, there may have been men around. It was Mary. It was Mary that went there and told her experience, her experience of seeing the resurrection, her experience of seeing the empty tomb, the empty tomb. The reading which we just heard that Katie just offered from the gospel, you can hear a lot of different themes going through that. But one of the symbols I want to leave you with to think about is the number of times within that reading we heard the word tomb, 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 tomb. Tomb is a place where a person who's passed on is laid to rest. And in this case, that tomb was empty. That tomb was empty. So I want to offer up an empty tomb as a symbol, a symbol of God saying, you're going to be okay. And an, an important symbol of God saying, I'm in covenant with you. And for us, it's the relationship with, we have with Jesus Christ. And it's the new life that he brings, the new life that he promises, the new life that we're freely given, the love of the Lord which is shared with us, all of us, each and every one of us. 
And we come to see and hear and understand that symbol of the empty tomb in our own lives, through our own actions and the own, our own ways that we present Christ and experience our own resurrection and new life. 22 years ago, I was finishing seminary in Austin, Texas. I loved Austin. Prior to Austin, where I lived for three years for seminary, I lived in Los Angeles, well, actually in Thousand Oaks, California, right? It's a little bit north of Los Angeles. So all my life in Thousand Oaks, California, then to Austin, Texas. And then we got Kyle's assignment for her first parish placement. It was in Pascagoula, Mississippi. So we moved to the Gulf Coast of Mississippi in 1997. And we didn't live in Pascagoula initially because there wasn't real much of a rental market there. So we lived in Goche, Mississippi. Um, and we lived in Hickory Hills in Goche, Mississippi. That's way out. There's not a whole lot around there. I'm just, just giving you, it was a big departure for me. And I didn't have a job at the time to move from Los Angeles to Austin, Texas, to Goche, Mississippi. Needless to say, it was a shock to my system the first time I went to the supermarket. I didn't have Central Market anymore. Didn't have the first Whole Foods anymore like we had in Austin. We had Wayne Lee's. It was a big departure. Now, also, I didn't have a job. And I would add on that the summer of 1997, I think, I think it poured rain three times a day. It was horrible. It was horrible. And I couldn't go out and play golf. I couldn't do anything. And I was miserable. I was miserable. And it wasn't that I didn't like Mississippi or the Gulf Coast or the folks in Pascagoula or the folks in Coche. I liked them. It was, they were lovely. They were pleasant. It just wasn't California. It wasn't California. It was so different. And I was miserable and I was sad. And Kyle came home one day and I was sitting on this, this lawn chair I had in the side of our house. It was, an, it was an apartment. And I was looking up at the sky. She says, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking at those planes flying overhead. She said, why are you looking at the planes flying overhead? I said, I'm wondering if that one's going to Los Angeles or not. And she, she did her best to try to help me adjust. Um, but, you know, it was tough. It was my own tomb-like experience, if you will. So anyhow, my birthday came up after we'd been down there for about two and a half, three months. And, and uh, it was still raining every day. My birthday came up, and, uh, and she said, well, let's, we'll go get breakfast in town. In town meant Pascagoula. Probably meant Shoney's, but that's, that's irrelevant. Um, and uh, she, and she, so she went to her office, and then she said, I got to make one stop on the way home. Clergy spouses are notorious for saying, I got to make one stop on the way home. You know, um, it's just, just, just the way it is. I've done that to her, and you know, my daughters roll their eyes when I say that. Um, and so we went to this one stop we had to make. I said, great, a pastoral call, uh, that kind of thing. And so we get to this house, and she says, wait here, I'll be right back. So she runs in and she comes out, uh, literally a couple minutes later, with this black lab puppy and puts Dixie in my hands, in my arms, and says, this is your birthday present, happy birthday. 
Um, now, you know, which one of us, when somebody hands you a puppy, isn't going to start crying? I did. I started bawling. But it was, it, was, it was a lot of tears in a lot of different ways because what it was was a very lovely and loving symbol, a loving symbol of her handing me this dog, this little puppy, and saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Now, I need to add that me having this little puppy in my arms didn't automatically make sure, made, everything didn't just all of a sudden turn overnight into great stuff, you know. It didn't, didn't automatically, Bishop Marble didn't call that night and say, hey, by the way, I got a job for you, anything like that, you know. But, in fact, and I should go one step further, Dixie introduced a whole level of chaos into our lives that was, um, that was unprecedented and, and, and pro- perhaps unprepared for. Um, may have been good preparation for Katie being born two years later and Betsy being born two years after that, but that's irrelevant. But what that dog came to symbolize as she grew up and as we grew in our relationship was that everything was going to be okay. She was an important symbol of an important event that took place in our lives where God did something new through one of God's people. God did something special through one of God's people. And that particular tomb that I'd been in was left empty. That particular tomb that I was, had been in was left empty. Friends, the resurrection is about us stepping out of our own tombs, us having the door blown off and us experiencing new life. And that new life doesn't come without some chaos. It doesn't come without some chaos. It doesn't come without some, some sense of, of loss. It doesn't come without some sense of newness. It doesn't come without some sense of trying to figure things out. Let's not kid ourselves. It comes with all those things. But that empty tomb symbolizes the new life that you and I find through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the fact that we are gathered today here because we believe he conquered death. And we're called to be like Mary. We're called to be like Mary and to go from this place and tell others what we've seen. What we've seen. I saw the newness of life and the own dispatch of my empty tomb because of the love of another person. And that symbol that God loved me and so does my wife and so does this person and that newness of life can be found friends you too whether it's grief depression loneliness chaos of any sort God is waiting to show us the way out of our empty tombs and God is willing to leave a symbol for us of his love that empty tomb is one of those symbols May God lead you through this Easter season into new life, new hope, and I might add, through all the chaos that might come with it. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.